text this morning is Exodus 6, but it also goes through 7-7. It also goes through 7-7. And so today we want to conclude, although absolutely leaving the door open to come back to the book of Exodus, because it is so wonderful, and because it points forward to the true Exodus, our salvation through Jesus Christ. But this morning, We've just been briefly looking. As we were considering providence and Joseph, providence and Joseph near the end of Genesis, really that's kind of just carried over. And we've looked at the early chapters of Exodus and the early years of Moses. If you'll glance at uh, Exodus 7-7, it's kind of a joke when we say the early years of Moses because in 7-7 it says Moses was 80 years old and Aaron, 83 years old, when they spoke to Pharaoh. Now, since this is also part of our text, would you give attention with me to 7, 1 through 7? Okay? Let's look at Exodus 7, 1 through 7. This is part of our text that we have not read yet. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. Uh, literally what it says there is, I have made you God to Pharaoh. And your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But, Exodus 7.3, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. If you're physically able, let's stand for prayer. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you that as the book of Jonah says, salvation belongs to the Lord. And Lord, we want to confess, not that we always want to, but Lord, you lead us to by your grace. We want to confess this morning as your people that we are sin, sinners, sinful people. First John chapters 1 and 2, we, we do not lie and say that we have no sin. We do have sin. Lord, we confess to you this morning that we are in many ways like Moses and like the people of Israel, as the New Testament reminds us. Lord, that we are stubborn and we are often rebellious. We thank you that for your people where sin increased, grace increased all the more. 
We thank You for the goodness of Jesus Christ. There is no one good except for God. Lord, help us not to be deceived this morning. Please help us through the Holy Spirit not to be deceived, but to see the truth in Your Word and through Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, who lived a perfect life, who hung on the cross of Calvary, who bled and died in in our place so that we might live, who rose again, Lord, who, who is alive, who is ascended, who is coming again. Lord Jesus, would You help us even through Your Spirit that You have poured out. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, as in a bit, as we come to what we sometimes call communion, or what we more often call the Lord's Supper, as we come to the Lord's table this morning, one thing that I want us to think about that we'll come back to is this question, and you've heard it before, no doubt, Why do bad things happen to good people? And we want to come back to that, I say, as as we focus, in a sense, on the Lord's Supper this morning. But let me say, as we open our Bibles again, or hopefully they're already open, to Exodus chapter 6, and remember, our text is really Exodus 6-1 through Exodus 7-7. That's our text. Let me give you the title this morning. The title of the message is this. The greatness of the God who saves. The greatness of the God who saves. Friends, indeed, God is great. God is great. Do we we understand what that means? Well, I have a quiz for you this morning. So I hope you uh, brought your pen and paper. And I want you to answer uh, just privately in your mind so that there's no no embarrassment. But I want you to think about i got four questions on our quiz this morning. Thinking about God is great. You don't need a pen or paper. Just answer these privately in your mind and we'll review them. Four questions. These are true false questions. True false question number one. How would you answer this? All of creation is divine. All of creation is divine. Question number two. God is completely distinct from creation and sovereign over creation. How about that one? Would that be true or false? Let me say it again. God is completely distinct from creation and sovereign over creation. Quiz question number three, true or false? God is personally present and involved in creation. True or false? God is personally present and involved in creation. And then number four, to round out our quiz this morning, number four, God is distant and uninvolved in creation. That be true or false. God is distant and uninvolved in creation. Well, there's two things that we want to be aware of that we need to realize are false 
when it comes to the Bible and to biblical faith. I was really helped by this as I was studying for this message. Two things are uh, pantheism and deism. I'll come back and give you the give you the answers to those questions in just a minute. Pantheism, you've heard of pantheism? Pantheism is this. Pantheism is the view that all of creation is divine. So these are alternatives, false alternatives to the Bible, okay? Pantheism is the view that all of creation is divine. What about deism? You know, you've studied American history. You've heard this word deism tossed about a lot. What is deism? Deism is the view that God is distant and uninvolved in creation. Now, just a little bit of uh, of Bible doctrine here for a minute. You've got deism and you've got pantheism, but let's think about healthy Bible doctrine And so we want to remember that God is great and that He is near. Or to use the word that theologians use, God is transcendent and He is imminent. Listen to this. Two fundamental attributes of God are His transcendence and His imminence. Say what? God's transcendence refers to His complete distinction from and sovereignty over creation. This distinguishes biblical faith from pantheism. God's imminence refers to His personal presence and involvement in creation, which distinguishes biblical faith from deism. We go back to the old children's prayer, God is great, God is good. He is he's transcendent, He's imminent. Which is just to say he's overall, and at the same time, it's Psalm 138 is what Pastor Ben read to us. I think it's Psalm 138, verse 4. But he is overall, he's great, he's separate from us, but he's near to the brokenhearted. God is near to the brokenhearted. What you and I need is a God who is truly great. That's what we need. Both of these things, God's greatness... And God's nearness are in our text today. By the way, it was uh, it was false, true, true, false. Okay. All of creation is divine, false. God is completely distinct from and sovereign over creation, true. God is personally present and involved in creation, true. God is distant and uninvolved in creation, false. Okay? We're not deists. We're not pantheists. We want to, God helping us, have biblical faith. And we want to not be afraid of good, healthy theology. God is transcendent and He is imminent. He's great and He's good. And those things are are not opposed to each other at all. This morning we're thinking about this. Again, the title, The Greatness of the God Who Saves. And I want to see that in two ways. The greatness of God in Romans 9 and the greatness of God in Exodus. Okay, that's where we're going. That's where we're going. The second thing will be the greatness of God in Exodus. 
And the first thing, if you keep your place in Exodus and turn to Romans chapter 9, the first heading is this, the greatness of God and Romans chapter 9. This will be somewhat brief. So if, if possible, I would like for you to see this with your own eyes and at the very least to listen carefully. We're looking at Romans chapter 9 and we're thinking about this first heading, the greatness of God in Romans chapter 9. Romans 9, verse 17. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So notice the purpose of God. Why did he raise Pharaoh up? If you're looking at the text there, why does the text say that he raised up Pharaoh? Answer, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Verse 18, so then, this is Paul, so then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. This is the greatness of God in Romans chapter 9. What is Paul's main focus here in Romans chapter 9? If you're here this morning and you're of Presbyterian conviction or background, then this might be your favorite chapter in the Bible. It's a great chapter. It should not be controversial. It just shows us our God. And friends, what is the main point here here it is. Here's this phrase. What's his main point in context? The freedom of God in mercy. God's freedom in mercy. Look at Romans 9.14. Romans 9.14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Did you see that there in verse 15? God's freedom and mercy. Verse 16, So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up. What this is saying, friends, is that God saves Sinners. God saves sinners. Do you know yourself this morning to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving His displeasure and without hope except in His sovereign mercy? That's actually what, what we ask every member who stands before this congregation. I'll say it again. Do you this morning, do you know yourself to be a sinner? in the sight of God, justly deserving His displeasure and without hope except in His mercy. 
What Paul's main point here is, Paul's main point is the freedom of God in mercy. And then he goes on to add, don't take my word for it, it's right here in the text, he goes on to add the freedom of God in hardening. So he starts out in verse 14, Romans 9, 14, God's freedom in mercy. It does not depend on human free will. It does not depend on man, but on God. God's freedom in mercy and God's freedom in hardening. So verse 19, Romans 9, 19, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Let us shut our mouths and worship the God who saves. There is absolutely mystery. Absolutely. We do not want a God that we can figure out according to our own very finite minds. The greatness of God and Romans chapter 9. You know what Romans chapter 9 is about? It's about Messiah Jesus. And you know, my friend, Jesus did not come to call the righteous. Please always know this. This is this, is this table this morning. Jesus Christ did not come to call the righteous sinners to repentance. Oh, did you know yourself a sinner? Do you know that Jesus died on the cross and made satisfaction, and made expiation, and made propitiation before God the Father? Did you see Jesus dying on the cross as the substitute for sinners? He died for the, for the sins of the world so that everyone who believes in Him would not be condemned. Romans chapter 8, do you see Jesus dying and rising from the dead? Do you know yourself to be a sinner condemned? Condemned? Then fly to Jesus. Look to Jesus. This table is for believers. We have nothing to bring to Him in our hands except a whole lot of rebellion. And He is full of mercy. And so our second heading this morning is the greatness of God in Exodus. Alright? The greatness of God and Exodus. So we're looking there, second book of the Bible. Number one, the greatness of God in Romans 9. Number two, the greatness of God and Exodus. Now you may see there in uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 13, that the heading in my ESV Bible is God promises deliverance. And I want to also use that heading uh, I think it's great for chapter 7, 1 through 7 as well. So let me just point out a few things to you. We're thinking about the greatness of God and Exodus. Let me show you a few things. Okay, we, Romans 9 was, was not for nothing. So look at chapter 7, verse 3, for example. Just going to point out a few things here. Exodus chapter 7, verse 3. But I will harden... Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Why? Because God had said. Because God had said. So I just want to show you three quick things that are repetition. 
Uh, these are things that we looked at last week or that we've looked at in previous weeks. So that's one of them. That's one of them that we've seen before. Exodus 7.3, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Another thing is that we were uh, we spent a little bit of time last week looking at circumcision. Circumcision, and we see that again today. We see that again. So look at chapter 6, verse 30. Chapter 6, verse 30. Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. Well, that's interesting, right? Last week we talked about circumcision as we typically think of it. But he says... I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? Look at chapter 6, verse 12. Exodus 6, 12. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? Get the logic of his argument. If my own people, Lord, if your people will not listen to me, how will Pharaoh listen to me? For I, have, I am of uncircumcised lips. Well, that's another thing that we see because it's, it's not by accident that the Bible repeats itself. It's building this cumulative case. What does that mean, by the way? What does that mean when he says in 12 and in 30, I'm of uncircumcised lips? Well, if you want to just jot down Exodus 4.10. Exodus 4.10. Listen, Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. It's been pointed out, you know, Moses many times complains to God at length. And what's he saying? He said, I can't speak. Well, you seem to be doing a pretty good job of it, Moses. Right? He's complaining to God at length. But what he's saying, is, I can't talk. He says in Exodus 4.10, I am slow of speech and of tongue. That's probably what he means when he says uncircumcised lips. I am slow of speech and of tongue. So we've already seen uh, the hardening of Pharaoh's hearts. Uh, God did not harden Pharaoh's heart in merely in response to Pharaoh hardening his own heart. Pharaoh did harden his own heart but it's truer to say that he did so in response to God hardening his heart. And we've seen circumcision, and there's another thing as well, and it's in, uh, it's in verse 1 of chapter 7. It's a great sound to hear the rustling of pages. Exodus 7, this is just another thing by rep way of repetition. The Lord said to Moses 7.1, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. Uh, literally, as I said before, literally is, I have made you God to Pharaoh. I have made you God to Pharaoh, and we don't actually need to be scared of that. Exodus 4.16, we've already seen this before. Exodus 4.16, He shall speak for you to the people, talking about Aaron, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. You shall be God to him. Exodus 4.16. Oh, and by the way, Exodus 4.16 and 7.1, you shall be God. Moses, you're going to be God to Aaron, and you're going to be God to Pharaoh. This, 
clearly is talking about a man acting as God, which points forward, which foreshadows, which leads forward to the one who was actually God and man, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. We're still under this main heading of the greatness of God. The greatness of the God who saves in Exodus. Look with me at Exodus chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. I want you to notice verse 9. Exodus 6, 9. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. You see that verse there? What does it say about the people of Israel? It really, in a sense, moves me. Because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So much of this, so much of this section is about leadership. So much of it is about leadership. And we see Moses and Aaron, and of course the ultimate leader is God, and and the anti-leader is Pharaoh. But Moses and Aaron are God's chosen instruments. They are are to ultimately be respected by the people of Israel. Even though at the end of chapter 5, listen to me, at the end of chapter 5, the people have come and they've they've blamed Moses, the same blame game that we've seen since Genesis chapters 1-4 through with Adam and Eve. You know, you remember the woman that you gave to me, she made me do it. Well, in Exodus chapter 5, the people were... uh, In Pharaoh's eyes, they were idle. You're idle. You're idle. He said, you've got to make the same amount of bricks in Exodus chapter 5, but we're not going to give you straw. I'm not going to give you straw anymore. You've got to find your own straw, and you've got to keep making the same amount of bricks. You're idle. You're lazy. And so the people come to Moses and Aaron, and they say, listen, what are you doing? You've made us stink in the eyes of Pharaoh. You've made us stink in the nostrils of Pharaoh. And so the people are blaming their leaders. And then the leaders are blaming God. Moses and Aaron, are set, Moses says to the Lord, Lord, you've called me to be the leader of this people, and so far you haven't done anything. And in fact, Lord, the only thing that you've done is that you've made, you've made this people's labor harder. You've given them greater distress. And, and many times we, we, we're down on the people of Israel And and that's true in many ways. The people of Israel were rebellious. The New Testament says to look at the people of Israel as an example. And in so many ways, don't follow their example. But leaders and and, and we as elders need to remember this. The elders of Crossway Church. and, And if you're in a position of leadership, especially spiritual leadership, we need to remember Exodus chapter verse 9. And do we we need to remember that people go through real things, and and I know I do. And I know you do. And just this little phrase in the Bible, just this little phrase, I don't know if you would identify with it even this morning. No, no, not because you are in this situation with Pharaoh and Egypt and the enslaved people of Israel, but perhaps you would even this morning identify with this little phrase that's tucked away in there. And was it? what is it again? Because of their broken spirit, and harsh slavery. My friend, can I remind you? Would you listen to me? Can I remind you that God is great 
and transcendent. He is separate from creation. He's not a part of creation. And he is near the brokenhearted. He is near to the brokenhearted. Leaders, leaders of God's people do well to remember that even though verse 9 represents sin and rebellion, it does. It's not good. Oh, dear friends, we all go through times of a broken spirit and harsh slavery. That's why Jesus Christ came. That's why He, and not, not me, not Pastor Ray, not Pastor James or Pastor Ben, Jesus Christ is able to identify with you in everything except for sin. He is a man of sorrows, a man of sorrows and full of grief. We see here that God promises deliverance. Again, just taking the, the heading of the ESV, I want to show you, I want to show you something. It's been called the seven I wills of salvation. Would you just notice this very quickly? Notice this with me in 6, 1 through 13. The seven I wills of salvation. And please remember that the true and greater exodus is when Jesus Christ brings his people out of bondage to self and Satan and slavery. That's the true and better exodus. Notice the seven I wills of salvation. Say therefore, 6 6, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And you can count with me quietly if you want. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. And verse, uh, middle of verse 7, And I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And verse 8, And I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, God does not change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and forever. He's saying to them, I'm the same God that I was to the patriarchs. Middle of verse 8, I will. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Friend, the most important thing about this is actually not the seven I wills of salvation, which are true in a greater sense in Jesus Christ. Actually, the most important thing is this. It's what's said four times. In the verse 8, I am the Lord. How about there in the middle of verse 7? You shall know that I am the Lord your God. How about verse 2? Look at that. How about verse 2? God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. Verse 6, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. Life is hard. Life is often hard and it's confusing and Christianity does not promise that in this life everything will be clear and everything will be a happy ending and and everything will be hunky-dory and peachy keen and whatever you want to say. Life is hard and sin causes mass confusion in life and our sin causes confusion in our lives. Life is often unclear. There's so many decisions to be made. There's a paralysis of decisions because unlike our forebears, we have so many decisions to make. And it, and it causes us to be paralyzed. 
life is unclear, but what we need, we need a word from God. We need to see God. We need the revelation of God. What we need is actually very simple. We need it very simple. We need to hear the Lord saying to his people, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Four times. I will. I will. I will. I will. I will. I will. The seven I wills of salvation. Uh, Jonah, the book of Jonah has it precisely right. Salvation belongs to the Lord. God makes promises and God always keeps his promises. And all the promises of God find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. God is faithful to his covenants. He's faithful to his covenants. And as we were singing this morning, you cannot fail in Jesus Christ. He will keep you. Nothing can pluck you out of his hand. Oh, be encouraged. Be encouraged, Romans chapter 8. It's not ultimately based on our perseverance. It's based on the preservation of God. Please take note of the seven I wills of salvation. Take note of the four I am the Lord. See the very humanness of the Bible. Look at the end of chapter 5. Verse 22 of chapter 5. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. And then in chapter 6, verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips, and we are like Moses. We grumble and we complain, and what we need is what God does for Moses. If you notice 6.12 and 5.22 and 23, what's in the middle of that? Well, in the middle of that, if you've got a Ph.D., is 6, 1 through 11. And it's God promising deliverance. And it's the same thing that he does in chapter 7. God promises deliverance. Look at that. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you... God to Pharaoh. Chapter 7, verse 1, And your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you. And your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. And I want you to underline this, whether you do it literally or not. I want you to get this Exodus 7-5. This is the payoff. Exodus 7-5. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Uh, God is jealous for His glory. God wants His name to be known God's number one concern is not, hear me, God's number one concern is not for your self-esteem. God's number one concern is for His glory. 
Exodus 7, 5. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, which is in precise answer to Exodus 5, 2. Precise answer to Exodus 5, 2. Pharaoh said in Exodus 5, 2, Who is Yahweh that I should obey His voice and let Israel go? Oh, you're going to find out. Because there's this thing called ten plagues. So Pharaoh, if you ask in Exodus 5 to who is Yahweh, and if you're actually and probably being honest, like Pharaoh's saying, I know a lot of gods. Who's Yahweh? And I don't care. And I'm not going to obey him. I don't even know who he is. God says, you're going to know. You're going to know. Exodus 5 2 and Exodus 7 5. Well, in Exodus 7 6, in Exodus 7 6, Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now, Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. I want to begin to draw this to a close. Phil Riken says this. He says that this verse 7 7 is a special encouragement to older saints. We'd be a little bit foolish, crossway, to take for granted older saints among us. I don't think we would be very wise to take for granted the blessing of diversity in that regard. Riken says this is a special encouragement, listen to me, to older Christians because Moses was a senior citizen. The Bible sometimes records a man's age when he is about to accomplish something great for God. Here we are told that Moses was 80, well past the age that most Americans retire. In fact, Psalm 90, Moses said that was about it for a normal person's life. That was like the max. Psalm 90, 80 years. Moses actually wrote Psalm 90. D.L. Moody said this, Moses spent 40 years in Pharaoh's court thinking he was somebody. 40 years in the desert learning that he was nobody. And 40 years showing what God can do with a somebody who found out he was a nobody. I'll say it again. Moses spent 40 years in Pharaoh's court thinking he was somebody. 40 years in the desert learning that he was a nobody. And 40 years, beginning at age 80, showing what God can do with a somebody who found out he was a nobody. No matter how young or old we are, we should ask God how he wants us to serve him. Christian, as we grow older, God will open up new opportunities to glorify him through prayer, through sharing Christ with family members, or through offering spiritual wisdom to younger Christians. Why do bad things happen to good people? There's some assumptions with that statement that we may need to examine. Let me close with the word of God. Let me let God have the last word through his word. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. 
By faith, Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the greatness of the God who saves. That is you. We thank you that according to your covenant, according to your everlasting promise, you say, I will, I will. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. We thank you for Jesus, who is the great I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Would you, with sweet cords of salvation draw us to yourself certainly lord would you do that for unbelievers draw us sweetly and irresistibly that we would run after you lead on our beautiful king and we will run after you we will follow you where can we go you alone have the words of eternal life where can we go? So we praise you that you are the living God who is near to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.